The one thing that I would come back to that you mentioned, having 17 new cities of friends that you can show up and immediately have a family, was something that I never took for granted from my times of traveling and meeting new people. You meet people from everywhere, and everyone says, if you're ever in my neck of the woods, I've got a couch for you to sleep on. While you are missing out on some of your friendships back home, it's always nice to know that you're continuing to make new friendships on the road. I love it when I, you know, just connect people on WhatsApp, connect people on Instagram, and I say, hey, message this person. A couple days later, I get a, a selfie of them or a video of them, like, dancing in the club or them on a hike. And I think that's that actually brings me so much joy that I'm able to connect those people even though I'm not there and really give these people a, a, a different experience. So I think it makes such a more fulfilling time traveling. Every time you meet a new person, you under, start to understand a different perspective on life. Whether you agree with it or not, you want to start to understand that different people in the world perceive life differently. You also put yourself in positions of uncertainty and discomfort. And learning to deal with those situations is so, so crucially important to be able to figure out like, where am I gonna sleep tonight? Or how do I speak to this person because I don't know their language? All right, Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I think we probably need to set up this whole conversation by leading with the fact that you're probably the most extroverted person that I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, has it always been that way for you or is is there something that flipped inside of you at some point jeez uh yeah i am i am very extroverted i am very extroverted but i haven't always been um uh, as confident with my my extreme extroversion um I, I think everyone goes through like growing phases throughout throughout life and like in, in high school or before that, kind of trying to figure out how um, how to present yourself and going through different phases, right? Um, and I think I really, yeah, obviously through through university, like really grew into myself, and became comfortable with with being extroverted and the the way I do that. Um, so yeah, wasn't wasn't always extroverted, but I was um, I was called by my ex-girlfriend, um, uh, socially exhausting. And this is something that, that my family and friends love and think is hilarious. It's because I can, can talk, <laughs> can talk to everyone. And if you hang around me for a long time, I will continue to talk to everyone. So we met back in 2012 while you were studying at McMaster and running for the cross country team. As far as I can tell from the outside, since then, most of your life has revolved around running. Was that a conscious decision or just something that you've fallen in love with and fallen into place? Definitely fallen in love with, fallen into place, but I think my relationship with running has, has changed drastically over, over time. Um, I, I think running was always just a, a, a hobby. Um, something that I did on the side of, I mean, soccer growing up in, in high school, in my childhood, I played soccer and, you know, running was, was the, you know, the sports team I joined on the side, um, to keep busy in, in high school. Um, and I, I really didn't take it that seriously. And, um, I think coming into university, 
I realized that I wanted to actually train for it. Um, and so I, I started taking it more seriously in university. And I actually I didn't make the cross country team the first year. Um, I was I was cut from the team, and I did, I think that was a real um, changing point. Where I was like, do I actually want to do this? And if so, I got to train for it. So I trained on my own until the next tryouts, and then I made the team. And I put my head down, and I really. I, I grind it because it's like I, I want to do this. If I'm going to do this 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 running thing, and this uh, you know elite performance uh, track and field and cross country, I do need to put in the time. And so that entire year, I put in the time and the work. And the next year, um, not only did I make the team, but I also was one of the top performers on the team. Um, and that was something that was really rewarding for me. And and my relationship there with running became. Um, I guess more to the intense training side, right? Where I started learning like a lot of the um, training techniques, um, things and, and differences uh, in uh, learning things about like my body and, and training and, uh, and how to be an athlete, really. So I think my, my relationship with training was uh, and running was uh, as an athlete. And then I think after university, um, it, it then, then changed again. So I continued competing and, and getting, um, getting workouts for my coach in Canada. And I, I realized that actually I didn't really like running alone. Right. And I decided I wanted to go try to join some different groups. I had moved to Berlin and I was, you know, running alone and I really wanted to find that kind of uh, cohesive tribe that, you know, that, that training group. I think that was the thing that really found, um, or that really gave me a lot of, it, it really, it really gave me a lot of uh, joy, right? When you're training with a group, you get a lot of joy from like, working to a common goal together. And that was something that like, that really gave me um, a, a, lot of, a lot of joy. And I didn't find that at all uh, training alone. So I started looking for different groups and I started joining uh, German track and field groups. And the track and field groups uh, were very typically German. It's like, okay, you show up, you press go on your watch, auf geht's, you do your workout and then you go home. And it was very, despite being around people, it was, it was still isolating. Uh, and I was like, it wasn't actually that exciting. exciting. So it was the stereotype of German stoicness with the stereotype of the split short athlete and that didn't mix. Um, and then I found Midnight Runners running along the, the streets of Berlin and I loved it. There was only 10 people. It just started in Berlin. It was the second city and I was like, this, I love this kind of like wild energy. Um, and I remember we, we all went to the bar after and socialized and hung out and I was like, this is actually what I was craving, this community part of running. Um, and I remember that first night we got kicked out of, out of the bar and I was like, yep, this is for me, I like this. Um, so I think for myself, running has always, has definitely changed, uh, but it's always been a part of my life. Um, 
running initially was something that was just done on the side and then it became something very um, serious and then it became something to have fun and socialize, right? So now for me, running is a way of connecting with people, socializing and, and truly feeling um, good in my body. And I think throughout that, um, and I guess especially throughout the, the training aspect, I learned that it can also be um, a way of almost meditation, right? Escape with your mind um, and kind of like a reconnecting with yourself. So I think I still use um, running in my life as a way of kind of recentering myself. And, you know, a time where I can be out for an hour off my phone, not talking to anyone else, and just kind of letting any thought coming in and out of my head. Um, and I often find that if I'm struggling through a problem or struggling with motivation, I can go for a run and I come back and I have that motivation. I have, I have that solution to the problem. So, uh, for me, running is, is, uh, I guess four tiered, uh, four pronged rather. Um, it, it, is a way to um it was it was a, a way just to like a hobby um then it was something very like intensive training then it was to socialize and uh i guess recenter with myself going back to the fun aspect for a minute why on earth would anybody subject themselves to a beer mile and why would anyone try to run it in under five minutes and 30 seconds so a beer mile <laughs> is where you chug a 355 milliliter can of beer and you run a lap of a track and then you repeat that four times. So that's four beers and four laps. And this was something that um, uh, our friends in university did to kind of let loose after uh, a really intense season of training and running. Um, and this was a fun competition that we did with you know our teammates as well as other schools visiting just to really like break down the barriers and make feel fun is like this is something that doesn't need to be super serious. Um, so the initial reason uh, was you know yeah just to have fun and make it make the thing that we trained really hard for suddenly silly because when you when you chug a beer uh, all of a sudden it's it's a very uh, it's people don't take it too seriously it, it's uh, funny and comical. Um, so I think that's that's one of the reasons. Um, another one of the reasons, if you were called to be on the, the Canadian Beer Mile team, then you got to step up and represent your country. You have to represent your country. So um, this year I'm actually going to be joining uh, the Beer Mile World Championships again, and I will be doing uh, the Beer Mile representing Canada. Um, I did it back in 2017, which was quite a while ago now, and I placed fifth in the world. Um, and ran a beer mile in five minutes and 15 seconds. Um, but, uh, the rule, the rule is, is if you throw up, you have to run another lap and, or you're disqualified. You're now the global community leader for midnight runners, which is a fancy way of saying you get to fly around the world, supporting and opening new chapters in large cities. Again, from my perspective, it seems like a role that you were almost born born for. 
as you reflect on the last five years with Midnight Runners, do you feel the same way? Or is there something else that you feel you're hungering towards? So, yeah, uh, I think from... So from, from the outside, a lot of my job looks like I'm just moving to the city, organizing events, um, and, you know, bringing people together to do these, these running events. For, but I think behind the scenes, there's, um, a lot that goes, a lot that goes on. Um, so I have to work with the different city leads, um, and crew captains around the world to try to make sure that, um, things are still taking over, um, make sure that we're, you know, communicating and communicating globally, still working on making sure that we're, uh, still have the same brand, um, finding and managing new partnerships like, like Reebok, Mizuno, and, uh, any, like we had beer company sponsor in Latin America. So a lot of like managing those partnerships, expectations, and making sure that we as a global community are hitting our KPIs and something that do all the boring stuff behind, um, so that the, the crew captains can really focus on just having fun and organizing the run. Um, but that is the, the, I guess the nine to five part of it. And then the, the evenings are filled with, um, really what keep me going through it all. Um, where I get to organize awesome runs, meet amazing people, um, and really bring, um, make running fun. So the concept of midnight runners is, um, you run through the streets with a bunch of daisy chain speakers and you do boot camp exercise stops along the way. So we'll do like a, you know, maybe a, f a five to 10 kilometer run, but throughout we have uh, three to five boot camp stops. Um, so we'll stop every kilometer and a half, stop, do some exercises, meet some new people, and then continue on. So it's a way of keeping the group together, um, making sure that people are interacting during the event and uh, really keeping that energy high. Um, and then we always finish at a bar, which is a social space. So the, the core um, part of Minute Runners is, is a community. Um, and it's my job when I move to a new city is to kind of build and foster that community um, and, and look for some of those people that are gonna be leading that. So when, when I move to a new city, I look for um, the most golden out there, um, just the most golden individuals. And when you get a group of really golden individuals together, just like uh, more positivity um, is, is attracted, more people come together. Um, and so my job is to kind of like really ignite that spark and then give it to the volunteers to kind of let them take it on the way. So ignite the spark, show them the culture and, and let them take it away. Um, the initial question though being uh, I've been doing this for the last five years. Has this become something that is, uh, is, is tiring? Uh, and am I looking for something else? Am I looking for something else? Yes. Has it become something that it um, is tiring? Yes. It's actually it's it's very it's very exhausting. I move every three months. Um, I've been doing that for the last five years. And actually, during last year, um, I was moving. I wasn't in one place for more than one month. Um, and that was, that was actually really socially exhausted or uh, that socially exhausted me. That socially exhausted me. Um, so I definitely experienced a bit of burnout, um, cause moving around constantly is, can be, can be taxing and you have to try to 
set up your routine in a new place every single time in order to kind of like feel yourself and start feeling productive again. Um, I think with, uh, with the, the last couple of years has been, yes, taxing, but still extremely, extremely rewarding. Um, you get to, yeah, meet all these amazing connections around the world. Now I can show up to 17 different cities around the world and immediately have a community, have a family. Um, and I'm very lucky, but I think something that was so the flip side of that is, is that you're not home. You're not in, in one place and you can't really, um, be a committed friend because you're, you're split literally around the world. Um, so it, it's difficult to be there for important moments, um, important moments and the, the down times where, um, you want to be with your, your family and friends back home. Um, so whether it be, uh, weddings, like bachelor parties or, you know, having a baby, those, like those first moments, those really important moments, or whether it's like going to grab like a coffee midday or, um, bumping into someone on the streets and, you know, chatting on the street for 10 minutes. And like, it's those, those moments that, um, I'm missing out on a little bit. Um, so, I mean, the grass is always greener on the other side, but uh, I am looking forward to being in one place for a bit um, and just kind of like being able to ground my roots a bit more uh, because I've been moving for the last five to six years and and that has uh, started, to, started to drain a little. Um, I also want to be able to take some of the skills that I learned with, with Midnight Runners, like all of my event management, my partnerships, um, community building. Uh, I mean, there's, we're in, we're, we have now, um, two people working for Midnight Runners, which means you have to do a lot of different things. So everyone's wearing a bunch of different hats. Um, and luckily I've had to wear a lot of new hats, um, over the last couple of years. And, um, it's really helped me learn and grow. And I want to take some of those, those skills to another company that just, um, I think everyone, needs to kind of try to start taking the next step. Um, and I can only keep on moving around the world for so long. So I'm starting to think about what that next move is. That is absolutely a fair statement. I know for me, I know we left about the same time in 2017 to go travel the world. You ended up in Europe and I ended up in Southeast Asia. And after about eight months, and like you said, things happen at home and you're missing out on things and you wonder and then it just it happened to be the right time for me to move on from the job that I was doing in Southeast Asia and come home and and for you you have this project that's taking you around the world but eventually it definitely does begin to get exhausting the one thing that I would come back to that you mentioned having 17 new cities of friends that you can show up and immediately have a family was something that I never took for granted from my times of traveling and meeting new people. And especially in Southeast Asia, you gain such an influx of people from everywhere else in the world that you meet people from everywhere. And everyone says, if you're ever in my neck of the woods, I've got a couch for you to sleep on. So that, uh, 
while you are missing out on some of your friendships back home, it's always nice to know that you're continuing to make a bunch of new friendships on the road. On that, it's been specifically beautiful to see actually some of those um, those friendships start supporting each other, right? And being able to connect some some other friends when I see them traveling throughout the world. Um, so if I ever have a, tra- a friend traveling through Europe, I say, hey, if you're literally in any of the major cities in Europe, let me know because some of my best friends live there and I'll, I'll connect you and have a couch to sleep on. They'll take you out in the town. And I love it when I, you know, just connect people on WhatsApp, connect people on Instagram. And I say, Hey, message this person. And you know, a couple days later I get a, a selfie of them or a video of them like dancing in the club or, you know, them on a hike. And I think that's, that actually brings me so much joy that I'm able to connect those people, even though I'm not there. Um, and really uh, give these people a, a, a different experience. So when you're there visiting as tourist versus you're there you know, visiting a local and get to see a bit of their life, I think it makes um, such a more fulfilling time traveling. So you've mentioned Midnight Runners now has 17 chapters across the world. You're in Tokyo right now setting up the latest one as number 17. These chapters are run, at least in a good part, by groups of volunteers. I was a captain in Toronto for the better part of two or three years uh, through, as we started in 2019, through the middle of the pandemic sort of thing. And from my experience, it almost seems to be a fight to become a city captain as or a crew captain, as you called them. What do you think makes people such rabid fans of Midnight Runners? So yes, confirming on the first statement, yes, uh, it's all run. It's all run by um, volunteers. So each city kind of runs independently. Um, we're able to like set up the proper organization, give all the volunteers proper tools in order to run the crew, run the organization, whether it be like the Instagram posting and organizing the events or the, the, the general structure, um, brand guidelines, graphic design, etc. Um, what do I think that people, I guess the next question is, is like, why do people love Midnight Runners so much? Um, I think right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, you know, people really crave community, right? Um, I think that it's very easy as a young person moving to a new city to be surrounded by so many people, but at the same time feeling very disconnected and feeling very lonely. Um, and I, I, I truly think that you know people love Minute Runners and communities like Minute Runners because it provides community. Um, and it, I think it really is a, a solution to urban loneliness. Um, I think that it is also a combination of a couple amazing things that make you feel really great. Right? One is moving your body and the endorphins that you experience when moving your body and running. So you get that, the natural runner's high. Um, and then music, we blast music and you get the endorphins of, of running with music. And you're with, also, you're with a group of people. So you're feeling this mutual experience with other people and you're socializing and you're feeling like that you belong and, and you connect, even if you show up and you just 
run in the middle and you run beside a speaker and you don't talk to anyone, you still feel like you're a part of that tribe. And there's something very primal about that. Um, so a lot of people tell me that they experience the same feelings that they would experience jumping up, up and down at a music concert, right? Because you're moving, you're listening to music, you're surrounded by people, you're yelling, and that kind of release of energy is, is really um, beautiful and, and specific. And there's, there's so many endorphins that are released and, um, that you know, people connect with each other really easily. So once you go through that experience, and you come back to the bar, people are super open to connect with each other because one, you've been through that experience together um, and you've, are, you're literally feeling a runner's high and you're uh, feeling just kind of like the best, most confident you. Um, so I think that all of those together really makes a really crucial, um, a crucial concoction for building community and, and connection. And so that's why I think people are um, really crazy about midnight runners is because they can um, connect with people uh, in, in lonely cities as well as um, feel all these amazing experiences that you um, won't normally get to ex experience on a weekly basis. So you've done a great job there of explaining uh, the factors that come from the outside in in terms of why people would love the community. But I know you've worked really hard to help foster this sense of community within the group from a top down view. How do you focus on building something with such a great culture? Um, I think a lot of the, the culture that we initially had was disseminated through um, a global crew captain summits where we had a lot of the crew captains from around the world come together. Um, but during the pandemic, we had to cancel those and we haven't been able to continue them on since um, because we've grown and it's very difficult to get a lot of the captains from around the world. And at these summits, we've been able to talk about like, what what is our identity? How do we run our events? Which is very crucial to like who we are. Um, and uh, what are some of the things that we can do in order to develop, develop the, the culture that we want within our community? Um, so upon the cancellation of those summits, um, I had to look to different ways. And when we have our global communication platform um, where we talk to all the different captains on that you're on with Slack. Um, and that's one way of, of talking and communicating. But I think from myself, I, I found it actually difficult post COVID um, to make sure that we're maintaining that same culture in all the cities. And I think it will, um, if you set it up and give, give that right spark for the most part, um, it will run in the right direction and making sure you have these um, check-ins with the, the city leads. So I, I talk to the city leads um, and make sure that things are still uh, running the right direction. Um, I also try to visit some of the cities um, and make sure that they're, um, they're still doing their events properly. They are you know, still um, developing the culture that uh, we identify as midnight runners. Um, so I think a lot of it is making sure that the city leads understand the, the core concept of, you know, who we are and what we are. Um, but there's, there's, there's some cases, um, that I actually specifically had to visit, um, last year where I had to actually go and, and 
visit the cities and help support them um, because they got a bit off track from what the culture is. Um, so right now, Blake, I'm not sure the last time you've been to Midnight Runners in Toronto, but there's um, you know three to five hundred people running every single week in Toronto, uh, and there's these like super high energy events, very well organized, um, awesome venue, and the flip side of that is like I showed up to a community in um, in the United States, and there was uh, one crew captain and there was five runners, and it was a very different vibe and energy. Um, you know, it wasn't that kind of same upbeat thing that you would picture midnight runners to be and that you know midnight runners as. Um, so I had to go and I had to really, um, really restart the community um, and rebuild some of um, some of some of that that cultural knowledge. What is midnight runners? How do we do things? And kind of give a guideline. And so. I think a lot of it is like giving people the, the tools and material and having these conversations about like, you know, what are we, what do we want to do? What is our goal? What is our intention? And, you know, once we set the, that intention, I can give tips and tricks of like, how do we achieve that? Um, so for example, this, this community in the United States was, was their, their main events were um, doing a cheer zone at, you know, two hours out of, out of the city at a uh, hundred mile race. And it's actually, it has a very um, uh, a difficult barrier for entry, right? There, you need to, you're not gonna drive all that way. You're not going to uh, go cheer on people that you haven't met before. Um, and it's also an ultra, which is a very specific niche in terms of like the fitness community. Um, so I says, okay, you're still doing your boot camp runs, but let's and let's cut back on the the really intense ultra long runs and uh, the cheer zones, which have like um, a difficult social barrier to enter. Let's start doing like five kilometer boot camp runs. Um, we'll do them in easily accessible spaces, and we'll just do it once a week, so people know this is the the one time a week that you're going to be doing this. Um, and I think that's something that I would um, suggest actually for not just all minute, but for minute runners communities, but all communities is like, make the one time that you're going to meet. Um, and especially if it's in person and really claim that as your day. It was whether it be like, you know, every Wednesday night or whether it be like the last Friday of every month or whether it be I don't know, all days that end in Y, whatever, claim it. Um, claim it as uh, that space and time that you're gonna meet so people people know that you're going to um, meet on those days and people can then ingrain it into their schedule. Um, yeah, I, I think, so I had to do some small transitions with, with the culture in some cities, but um, it's, it is, difficult um maintaining the culture and it's not done like any other you know company um where you have to like follow a very strict set of like guidelines this is more done like through social relationships and connections like this is um at the heart a community and that's the way we run and disseminate information is like 
if I go visit a city or another crew captain goes to visit a city, that kind of um, cross-cultural exchange is really important in order to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page. Taking a step back, you're one of the most traveled people, as we've talked about, that I know of in our age bracket. Um, what's your biggest takeaway from traveling that you don't think someone who's ever left their own country would understand? What you can do traveling, um, you can also do in your own country. Um, I think the, the thing that is really valuable about it is that it's very difficult to do in your own country. So when you travel, you put yourself in these new experiences. You meet new people who have different perspectives on life. And every time you meet a new person, you have, you under, start to understand a different perspective on life. Whether you agree with it or not, you want to start to understand that different people in the world perceive life differently. You also put yourself in positions of uncertainty and discomfort. And learning to deal with those, um, those situations is so, so crucially important. Um, to be able to figure out like, okay, where am I gonna, where am I gonna sleep tonight? Or how do I speak to this person because I don't know their language? Um, how do I, you know, how do I, how do I pay for this taxi? Uh, I don't know how much it costs. Maybe they're overcharging me 10 times. I think going through those uncomfortable situations teaches you a lot about life and um, and meeting all these new people opens your mind to all these different um, experiences. And I think you can you can get that same those 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 same experiences back in your own country with the right mindset, but it's really difficult to put yourself in that mindset. So I think the reason why travel is is um, so valued in, in you know our modern world is because it means that you've uh, taking the chance to put yourself in a different mindset and view the world in a different way and put yourself through all these like learning um, experiences. You can do that in your own country by maybe having some sort of sp uh, spontaneity and going to like hopping on a train, hopping on a bus and not really knowing where you're going and kind of figuring out when you get there, right? Whether it be, well, I'm just going to um, hop on a train to this national park. We'll see if I can do a hike and then I have to figure out where I'm going to sleep after. Um, I'm going to throw my, my tent in a car and I'm going to drive and I'm going to figure out what, what I have when I'm there. Or it could just be, Hey, I'm going to go on to, um, I'm going to go onto the internet, look up events that are in the city and join a random meetup, right? There's a, a platform called meetup.com and you can go and just search for all the events in your city and join something that is going to make you uncomfortable, make you try to talk to new people that you wouldn't normally talk to and hey you might not like it uh you might not get along with the people there but it's going to be an experience that you would actually that it's that same kind of experience that you're going to experience while while traveling um it's putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and meeting new people and i think those you can equally experience those um in your own country um, as you can traveling. But the thing is, it's very hard to do and very hard to understand that mindset without just uh, 
you know, hopping a plane and, and going somewhere else and, and trying to, and, and traveling. Um, that, that's, that's my take on it. Speaking of uncomfortable situations in 2019, you ran an ultra marathon through the mountains of Tajikistan. Uh, and it was turned into a documentary called running the roof and you ran a marathon every day for, or over a marathon every day for a week straight and ended up getting to almost 400 kilometers. I think what did completing that tell you about your limits as a person? I don't know if that net is the one that necessarily tests me on my limits. Um, I, I think that experience um, yes, physically challenged me, um, a lot, but I think the, the big takeaway for me is that, um, yeah, is, is continue to be, um, continue to be spontaneous, continue to be curious, um, and continue to like start exploring. And it also, it, it taught me, it's like, if you have an idea, um, just go for it, follow it up and, and, uh, chase it down because there's a million and one ideas, amazing ideas every day. It's just, there's very few of those, those ideas that are, have the people, um, determined enough behind them to actually make them happen. Right. And I think that was the, the biggest takeaway for me is like, you know, um, be spontaneous, you know, take, uh, take that idea and run with it. And in this case, very little sense, but I think the biggest takeaway for me was, yeah, um, actually follow through with that, that, that idea. Follow through on your ideas. It's a pretty novel concept that I don't think, uh, a lot of people given what you're saying, uh, definitely take the time to do so. Um, Tajikistan is tucked away sort of between Afghanistan and China, not a place that people would necessarily travel to on a whim, maybe not even a place that most people have heard of. In today's world, a lot of the popular narrative is sort of framed as an us versus them sort of thing. And Tajikistan, for a lot of people, I would think would almost certainly fall into a them category. But what has traveling to some of these places taught you in the last five years about sort of the similarities in the human condition? I, I really truly think that it's like it's we're we're all the same, you know. We're all out there to um, feel a sense of connection. We're all out there to feel purpose in life, um, and we all, you know, want to feel want to feel loved, um, and we want to feel that uh, our moments on this world are really um, Im important. So, I think. Traveling to Tajikistan, I, oh, actually, how it happened is we were drunk in a pub in London. We spun around and pointed at the map, and we said, we're going to, wherever we land on this map, we're going to do, uh, do a running adventure through. And I landed on the map, and I felt very ignorant. I had no idea that Tajikistan existed. Um, and I, I had already, like, pictured myself as a, a fairly well-traveled person, but um, this was, uh, you know, it, it it sparked some curiosity inside of me where I started doing a lot of research 
on the history of the place. Um, and it was actually part of the old Silk Road. Um, and the, the culture in that place was that you would always host travelers. And that's something that we really truly experienced is through the, the history of the Silk Road, always hosting travelers. We went through, people were so friendly and so welcoming. Um, and, you know, it, we really connected with the people that we were running through this, this valley. Um, so we ran from the border of Afghanistan uh, through the, the Pamir Valley, um, and, or sorry, through the Park Bartang Valley and over the, the Pamir Mountain Range. Um, and through that valley, we connected with so many people living there. And everyone was like, really hosted us with, with open arms. And it was, it was really very beautiful. Um, and through, through connecting uh, with all these people, yeah, it made me realize like, yeah, we're, we're really, really all the same. And I think growing up, I, I had these boxes growing up of this culture is this, this person from here is this. And, you know, in Canada, this is, this is how we, how we are. Um, but the more and more I meet people, yeah, there's those small cultural things, but more and more people, everyone is, is all those, these boxes are, are starting to become one. Um, and it's, it's difficult to explain, explains people. Um, but you know, I've, I've been all over the world now and I really, I'm starting to see, um, everyone's the same. Everyone's the same. Is there a memory outside of your your trip through the valley and, and connecting with all these people. Is there a memory in the last five years from your travel that sort of stands out as a, as a life-changing moment or, or a switch in, in something inside of you? Uh, that run or just any, any time in the last five years? No, 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 no. Just anything travel-related or anything in general in the last five years. I, I went through a really difficult part when initially moving to Berlin. So this is the, the first, first city I moved to. Um, I had obviously done some like backpacking before, um, you know, throughout India. But after um, my time in India, I decided to move to Berlin. Um, I had finished university the year before, and I decided to move to Berlin because I wanted to learn German. And I didn't have a job, I didn't have a visa, and I didn't have any money. I used the last of it backpacking, and I showed up, and I, I really I struggled. It was a difficult. Um, it was a difficult time. Um, I slept on like couches using the couch surfing app, uh, you know, and when that fell through or canceled, I was on park benches. Um, did that happen for a long time? No, because I found a job within the first three days there. Um, but the first couple months there were really, we didn't have an apartment. Uh, I want to say we is like my sister and I moved there together. Um, and we found an apartment after you know, the, the first month, but it was, it was difficult, um, finding a place to live. It was a difficult start in, in Berlin. And I think that was the, um, we also didn't know the language, right? Um, but that was, that was a, a really, really, um, big growing moment for me when, when I did actually, you know, come into my own in that city and I, cause I had to really, really work for it. I had to work for the community around me and to really just consciously decide who do I want to surround myself with? Who are going to make 
like bring me positivity. Um, and I had to learn that the hard way. Um, I also had to learn, it's like, okay, what, what is it that I want to do? What brings me like value? And I also learned, learned to speak German and that was like really, really rewarding for me. And I worked at it really, really hard. Um, and so I think that experience um, gave me a feeling of accomplishment in Berlin um, and, and accomplish, accomplishment with, my, with myself um, to really to try to take on the rest of the world. And it, it made me realize, like, okay, you know, I, if I can learn German, maybe I can learn Spanish. Um, maybe I can learn a bit of Japanese. Um, so, yeah, over the last couple of years then, I learned Spanish um, when I moved to Bogota in Colombia. Um, and in Japan, I gotta say, it's, it's a lot more difficult learning Japanese, but um, I think each each time I move to a new city, it's it's equally challenging as, as it was moving to Berlin, um, and it brings me back there, but it is also equally rewarding. Um, so I think that one, one switch that really opened my eyes and gave me a lot of personal confidence was that move to Berlin. What's the term for a person who speaks multiple languages? Polyglot? Is that what it is? You're going to be a polyglot in no time, I think. <laughs> we have mutual friends Sticking with doing a lot the, better. Uh, <laughs> well, they're a little bit... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know where you're going. But yeah, no, she's a very talented individual. Um, sticking with the idea of starting and growth and um beginnings i think a lot of people myself included experience that things in their life are almost locked away behind having to ask for help and i know it's a, something that people struggle a lot with either through pride or or shyness do you have any sort of wisdom that you could share from your experience to sort of help people overcome that barrier of asking a lot of people are very nervous and self-conscious when it comes to asking for help because it, um, they feel like it, it makes them smaller or um, shows too much vulnerability and vulnerability isn't good. Um, but I think showing some sort of vulnerability um, and it, it really, it shows your humanness um, and allows to, you to connect with, with people more. Um, I think it always needs to be done um, in in a respectful way. Um, you know, keeping in keeping in mind uh, the situation that everyone else is in, um, but asking for help uh, doesn't doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. It doesn't mean you're you're stupid. It just means that you're you're smart and you're comfortable enough with the people that you're around. Um, to do so. So, um, someone gave me a, re a really, actually, a really nice compliment the other day. They said, you know, the reason why that you're such a great leader in this organization that you're not afraid to say, I don't know how to do this. I need some help. All right? Um, and I think specifically in this organization, which has so many committed, passionate people around the world that have such a wide range of talents. Um, if I didn't use that, 
um, and I didn't ask for help, then I'd be shooting myself in the foot. I, we'd be operating at such a, a small, um, yeah, we'd be operating a lot slower. Um, so ask for help. If you're struggling with a problem, ask for help. And it also makes you feel really great when people then come, come to you and ask for help and that you're able to, you know, share something that you might have extra knowledge or forte on. Um, but asking for help doesn't, doesn't mean you're weak or, um, or stupid. It just means that you're actually, uh, you're smart and it's showing your, your human side. Yeah. I think I definitely get that some of the, um, best feelings that I've experienced are being on the other side of that ask for help. So people always think they're being an imposition on you when they ask, not knowing that some of the most rewarding feelings that you can have is when someone comes to you asking for help as a mentor. What did being part of a fraternity teach you about yourself that you don't think you would have learned otherwise? So I was part of a fraternity in college, um, in university, and that actually taught me taught me so much actually. Something that we, we did a, a lot um, was it, we had meetings every week, and it, it showed me how to construct and organize a meeting. Um, it taught me how to construct and organize um, a group of people, a budget, um, and kind of work together and kind of like collect people's visions like, okay, what is, what is it we want to do um, and how are we going to reach that together? Um, it also gave me like a very early insight onto how organizations are run. Um, so that was uh, very valuable. But I think that the, the um, one of the, the biggest takeaways is that the, all the volunteering work that we did. So it actually kickstarted me into, um, I almost I feel like what I'm doing today, right, is um, I started organizing um, events, charity fundraising events um, through the fraternity. And that actually gave me such an amazing space to learn and fail. Um, you know, I organized some charity events that went really, really well. And I organized some that didn't go so well. Um, and uh, taught me a lot about event organization, promotion, um, even content creation, um, and, uh, and, and building a team of people. So in order to make sure that, uh, the event actually goes on. So that was, those were all like really, really important, um, lessons for me. What's next for you? So I'm actually finishing my time in Tokyo. Um, so I've been here for the last two and a half, nearly three months. Um, and I'm going to be uh, coming back to Toronto for a month, which is really exciting. Um, I have I get to be back for some of these those big important moments. Um, I have some friends getting married. I have some friends who um, are having baby showers. Uh, friends that recently got engaged, um, steak parties. Um, so luckily, I'm going to be there for that. And then come July, I'm going to be. Uh, moving to Milan to start Midnight Runners in Milan. So uh, we're going to be doing one more city and then I'm going to be looking very, uh, very shortly after for um, another, another position.
So I would love to work for like a brand like um, Red Bull or um, event an event organization uh, consultancy or maybe like a, a marketing agency of some sort. Um, I think those are really like cool um, companies that I would like to put uh, some of my expertise behind and um, so I'll be, I'll be looking for a shift then. But right now I've been, I've been having my ears open, having different conversations with a bunch of different like um, brands and brands in the space um, and seeing kind of like what interests me and what doesn't. Um, so uh, the next step is uh, Midnight Runners in Milan and then uh, finding someone else to um, take my position so that I can uh, I can move on and find the next step in my career. Nice. I'm excited to uh, see you at Red Bull one day. I'm assuming you're going to absolutely kill it when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see how that goes. That's all I got, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This was a, a absolute ton of fun and uh, you're very well spoken and uh, have you're very well traveled and experienced and it was awesome to get to download some of that information from your travels and your experience in the logistics of running a multinational corporation. Um, and I just really appreciate you taking time out on a Wednesday morning to have a chat with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, hopefully I get to see you <laughs> when uh, I'm back in Toronto. If uh, people want to follow your stuff or Midnight Runners or anything else, anywhere else you want to send them, where should they go? Uh, check out Midnight Runners on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Intrepid Soul. Um, and if you want to watch Running the Roof, the documentary of running across Tajikistan, uh, you can find it on, if you're in the UK, Amazon Prime. Apple TV or in Canada, um, you can find it on Vimeo.